Love that, love that. Uh, we come to the scriptures again. Let me invite you to turn to page 1816. I've actually read uh, this little portion uh, the last couple of weeks, but we haven't really given as much attention to it, and we will. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Father, we come to your word again, these words of the Apostle Paul. And we pray that you would quicken our understanding, that you would open our hearts, our spirits, our minds to understand what you have done for us through Jesus Christ and what you call us to do then in extending that same welcome to the world that is in such great need. And so grant to us ears to hear, eyes that see, and hearts that understand as we make our prayer in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, those of you who will remember my father uh, of blessed memory, died a little over eight years ago. He was the king of the one-liners. Philip, what was, what was his favorite? Don't get old, you'll get grumpy. And he'd look at guys like Philip and me and he'd rub his head and say, well, we must go to the same barber, you know? So if you didn't know my dad, okay, well, he had our kind of uh, hairstyle. We'll say it that way. Some of his uh, favorite one-liners, uh, and you're trying to, you know, open the pickle jar or something like that, what's he going to say? You got to hold your tongue right, okay? So we've heard that one before. Uh, when you'd be sitting at the computer or some other situation where you couldn't figure the thing out. you got to be smarter than your equipment. All right. I like this one. As I went off uh, to uh, University of Virginia, he reminded me, don't let your studies interfere with your education. I think it was Mark Twain who actually uh, started that one. Took me a while to figure that out, but I have since figured it out. Never quite understood this one. He said, all those with two, turn one in. Okay? All right, Dad, that's good. Uh, I've already said that this morning. You can't tell the players without a scorecard, okay? You can't win them all unless you win the first one. Opening day, okay? He was a, uh, he was a big baseball fan. But here's the one I want to think with you about today. Pull up the ladder. I'm aboard. You ever heard that one? Okay. Pull up the ladder. I'm aboard. It comes out of the Navy. I think it actually comes out of the British Navy. When the last person getting out of the uh, kind of the lifeboat or the, the smaller boat climbing up onto the ship, once the last one is aboard, pull up the ladder. I'm aboard. Makes sense, right? But it has become kind of turned around. Once I get what I need, pull up the ladder. I'm on board, okay? I've got my needs taken care of. I don't care about all those other people. 
And so my dad would say that, we've, you know, I've gotten something at the dinner table, you know, well, pull up the ladder, I'm aboard. And it would be a way of kind of saying, remember, there are other people as well, Don. It's like, okay, Dad. So I remember my father fondly today, okay? The phrase came to mind as I was preparing this passage this week. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about what Jesus Christ does for us. And you have to understand, Paul writes against the historical backdrop of this long-standing animosity and hostility and division between Jews and Gentiles. That Jesus Christ's work on the cross reconciles both Jew and Gentile to God and to each other. He breaks down the dividing wall of hostility, that wall that stood there in the temple in Jerusalem that kept the Gentiles at a distance. They were far off as the Jews were able to come close. This new society where God is making out of the two groups, he's making one new humanity. And so as a result of that, we read, consequently, because of all that Jesus Christ has done on the cross to reconcile Jew and Gentile to God and to each other, consequently, you Ephesian Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You were that, but you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are now citizens, fellow citizens with God's people. You're no longer outsiders to the family of faith. You are now members of the household of God. You are no longer kept at a distance in the temple. You are not only brought near in the temple, you are becoming the temple. Paul spells out the impact and results of Christ's death on the cross with these three images. Citizenship, family membership, and then the temple being built into the temple, as it were, part of the structure itself. And so this citizenship image, it borrows from secular society. Immigration is a big thing in our world and in our news now. People trying to get to this country. And so they come from somewhere else. They are not citizens. They are, the older word would be aliens, right? An illegal alien, we hear that. And that, that sounds harsh to our ears anymore. And so it's foreigners, it's strangers. But when an immigrant comes and then they go through the process and become a citizen, they have all the rights, all the privileges thereunto. And so Paul is helping these Ephesians understand you once upon a time were an outsider to the people of God, to the, uh, to the nation of God. And all of a sudden you have now come to enjoy all the rights and privileges thereunto, all the blessings through your faith in Jesus Christ, all the responsibilities of Israel, all the benefits and privileges that come now belong to these Gentile converts. So citizenship, then the household image. Said, I think this was maybe three weeks ago. <clears throat> God chose to work through Abraham's family 
This is how God chose to bring salvation to the world. Abraham, I choose you. I'm going to bless you. I know you and Sarah don't have children yet, but watch this. I'm going to give you a child, and through that child, I'm going to bring forth a great nation. And so God chooses to work through the family relationship. This is what we're watching right here. The baptism is that same image. God's intended path is that the faith be handed from generation to generation to generation. So that we would understand that salvation is relational. It's about connection. It's about life being lived together in community. And so the Gentiles are no longer outsiders to the family. They're no longer orphans. They're no longer spiritually homeless. And we read that just a few uh, verses earlier in this passage. You were without hope and without God in the world. And so Paul says, because of Christ's death on the cross and because of your faith in what Jesus has done, you are now members of the household. You were brought in from the cold. You are welcomed. You were adopted into this family. You are given a seat at the table. And so the household image. And then the temple. This dividing wall of hostility that he refers to. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There was a wall in the temple that kept the Gentiles out. That has been destroyed by Jesus Christ. Gentiles could not access the presence of God, could not access the temple. Not only now is that dividing wall broken down so that you may come near, but here's the mind-blowing part. It's not just coming into the temple, not just coming into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. You are becoming the temple God is actually now inside of you. You become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so these three images work together. They convey an unimaginable truth, an unprecedented truth, that the outsiders are now insiders. And they're so far inside that God has actually come to live inside of them. Let me pivot. It's a profound historic fact or maybe irony of the way the church of Jesus Christ has developed over time. The Gentile outsiders were welcomed in and so in these early years of the, the Christian church forming Paul the apostle to the Gentiles begins to extend that welcome but, but it's hard at first. <laughs> the Jews don't understand that. And so the outsiders, the Gentile outsiders, come inside and they're joined to the family, joined to the nation. They become part of the people of God, the, the temple itself. But in some strange reality, <laughs> Jews are not that much a part of the church anymore. When the church was first born, it was only the descendants of Abraham who were the followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. 
And so when this letter was written, it was still a relatively rare occurrence, a rare phenomenon to have Gentiles be part of the church. It was confusing, it was risky, it was controversial. If you have read the book of Acts, you, you can follow that. You, you, there's other, other uh, letters of, of Paul speak to that, make that reference. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 15, we read about the first, as we Presbyterians would call it, general assembly, the Jerusalem council. They met in Jerusalem, all Jewish believers in Jesus, they met there and they're trying to figure out what in the world do we do with these Gentile converts? It doesn't make sense to us. Do they have to follow the law of Moses? What, what do they have to do to really be part of the church? And so they wrestle that through. What do we do with these Gentiles who keep showing up at church? 2,000 years later, Christianity is mostly a Gentile phenomenon. The church is virtually Gentile. Now, some of you may be descendants of Abraham by blood, by birth. So I mean no offense in, in what I'm saying, but, but it is a fact it's a sociological fact that the Christian church is primarily a Gentile phenomenon. How did that happen? And so what began as a radical and controversial proposition, what Paul is writing about here, this welcome that is being offered, the, the apostle is authorizing that welcome, open the doors wide for these Gentile followers of Jesus. They belong here. That's what Paul is saying. It was hard to welcome the Gentiles in at first. And then so many came in over time that, that many Jews, it's like this is not our expression of faith. And so this is this strange, profound irony. And so we go from Jews and Gentiles being brought onto equal footing, God's new society as we we talk about it here, welcoming Gentiles into the fold, into the family, it has become a very different matter now. And so the question is, what do we do now? <laughs> As we read this passage 2,000 years later, Gentiles who have been welcomed in, who have, who have embraced the, the, the cross of, of Jesus Christ, who think of ourselves as the people of God, who think of ourselves as the family of God, who understand that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and dwells in our midst. This is now part of our settled understanding. Hmm. And so I think the question facing the church now is can we still live into this same approach of welcome? We who have been welcomed, will we continue to welcome others? We who have been reconciled to God and to our Jewish sisters and brothers, will we live a reconciling life towards others? Can we open the doors wide? Will we open the door wide? Will we allow our hearts and our 
hands and our lives to be extended to others. Paul writes in the book of Romans, welcome one another then as God has welcomed you. And so is the church of Jesus Christ a welcoming community? Or will we act like the world around us is now acting? Will we look at other people and treat other people differently based on their skin color, how they dress, uh, by their um, income level or, or their age or their biology or a thousand other ways we humans look at each other and then categorize each other so that we don't have to deal with each other. In the words of my father, will we pull up the ladder because we're aboard it? Or will we extend ourselves as the original followers of Jesus Christ, these first followers of Jesus who were Jews and they had to wrestle and they had to mm, grind through this and then they came to it. And Barnabas in particular, just reading about him recently, the, the way he welcomed Saul of Tarsus who was the persecutor who became Paul the Apostle. If you look on your bulletin, right under where it says the date Put the welcome statement that we used to put on our bulletin until we shrunk our bulletin in, in COVID time. But for about 18 years, this has been on the bulletin of Greenwich Presbyterian Church every Sunday. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to all who will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that statement. I love what it says, I love what it conveys, I love its tone, I love its posture. I love this outward facing approach that friends come. Come from wherever you are, come for whoever you are. Come with your needs, come with your brokenness, come with your blessings, come here. And hear of Jesus and hear of God's grace. And hear of his mercy and his call and, and the challenge to live as the people of God. And so we've welcomed a little one today. <laughs> and she won't remember those words, but we've got it on video. <laughs> Kenley, you now share with us the high calling of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now friends, I am not so naive to know that it is challenging to open the doors 
Because when you offer welcome, you're never quite sure what's going to walk in. And there's times that we don't understand a person that we're talking to. Their, their life, their experience, their, their vision, their values. And so let us wrestle. Let us not be like the world that wants to divide people and put people in categories and, and, and divide into ways that we have grievances against one another. There is no salvation. There's no hope. There's no life there. This is the vision of God through Jesus Christ to take men and women, boys and girls from every walk of life, every age, every station, every skin color, and to draw them into one family through Jesus Christ. There's one qualification for getting into the church. Faith in Jesus. It's that simple. Uh, we look around and we may look like each other. But, but when we gather on that glory day. <laughs> there will be people from every race, every tribe, every language, every nation. Every people will be gathered there. And by God's grace, we will too. <laughs> and so we admit our need. We kneel before the cross. And this is the best way I heard it expressed. Give as much of yourself as you can at this moment to as much of our Lord Jesus Christ as you understand at this moment. And just keep doing that. Just give yourself afresh to Christ today, friends. If you've never given yourself to Christ, please do that. In the name of Jesus, be reconciled. Give as much of yourself as you can to as much of Jesus Christ as you understand. And keep on doing that. Amen and amen. Friends, let's stand together. And we have a statement we call it a creed, the Apostles' Creed. It began in the teaching of the Apostles. It was framed after the original Apostles had died. But this is part of the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone and the foundation of the Apostles and Prophets. And so, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hymn five.